Welcome to the Satellite and New Space Matters podcast, a series of interviews with key leaders throughout the industry, all brought to you by the Satellite and New Space team at NUCO, a specialist global recruitment and executive search firm. Welcome to the Satellite and New Space Matters podcast. Your host today are myself, Andrew Ball, and alongside me, I've got Ewan Lawrenson, and we're both senior consultants in NUCO's Satellite and New Space team. And today, we're delighted to be joined by Andy Lucas, who is the COO of Luke Teleport and Data Center, previously known as Signalhorn. An avid cyclist um, who hopes to discover the next big use case for satellite communications and apparently only get himself a robot lawnmower as well. We'll have to touch on, on that a little bit later. Um, Andrew has had an impressive career in the satellite and space industry, I think it's safe to say, uh, beginning his journey in product management for the service provider Schlumberger, um, before holding a number of executive and C-level positions for a variety of well-known companies, the likes of Harris Caprock, Comtech EF Data, Telesat, and of course, before joining Luke uh, as COO in early 2021. Uh, so Luke Teleport and Data Center are Europe's leading green teleport and data center provider who have recently celebrated their 50th year in business um, and have, of course, rebranded themselves from Signalhorn earlier this year. They currently provide services to geo platforms with Leo and Mio solutions very soon to be launched. Uh, welcome to the show today, Andy. Thank you. So to get us started, we always like to ask people the same question. How did you first get into the satellite industry? Oh, gosh, uh, it's actually somewhat by accident. Um, if you recall back in the UK to the Mercury Communications days and the first cycle of deregulation in the UK and the opening of and the requirement for high quality communications, primarily in the North Sea, um, Mercury opened a, a teleport in a little place called Brechin, which was about 10 minutes away from where I lived at the time. So um, naturally, I was very interested, uh, satellite communications, new, exciting, creating new potential and opportunities for customers to improve their operations, which is a, quite a recurring theme of mine in terms of you know, where I tend to focus on. And I was compelled to apply and was very pleased to be successful in securing the position. So that oh, was interesting. My, Sorry. Yeah, that was my introduction to satellite communications and communications into the oil and gas industry. Well, it's interesting that you sort of mentioned you kind of stumbled into it. I have to say, most of the people we speak to, you know, always have these kind of high flying. When I was young, I looked up to the stars and there was something about the space industry that always called to me. Um, but it's really interesting, especially from the sort of recruitment perspective, you know, to, to speak to people like yourself. And there was another um, podcast we did very recently where they said something very similar. Um, so we might have to, to kind of pick up a couple of bits on on that in the in 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 the sort of coming minutes of the podcast um but let's stay in the past um so you over to you yeah you so that was I'm sorry sorry no, no no by all means no indeed um andy um well yeah we'll, we'll we'll crack on with the um with some questions continuing in the past um now you work with some some big names in communications i imagine some great individuals as well within that um is there a particular kind of person or, or moment within these companies that played a really big role on your career and became a massive influence for you? Yeah, I would say actually the, the next position that I went to after my, it was about four or five years, I, I was at the breaking facility with Mercury. Again, there was another cycle of deregulation occurring in the UK, um, which allowed uh, smaller, more nimble companies then to provide fully managed end-to-end -end services into any sector they chose, actually. 
uh, within the UK, obviously. And um, I saw a small company called Data Marine Systems, which at that point was really renting telex machines, selling telex paper, and with a bit of Inmarsat in the mix, and amongst some radios and, and various other things. Um, they had the right team in place and the right motivation and the right ambition and recognized the opportunity to be able to really drive and do something different. And also there's a large element of innovation and creation of IP going on at that point in time in that if you couldn't build it yourself, you really weren't in the game. Um, so I moved there, uh, Data Money Systems in Aberdeen, and um, was really inspired by the leadership, I have to say, very innovative, very aggressive, very opportunistic. And in a matter of uh, a small number of years, we went from basically, as I say, selling telex machines to having infrastructure, teleport infrastructure and terrestrial infrastructure connecting every continent on the planet where there was an oil and gas presence. Um, So the scale and the pace of change was remarkable. Uh, The need was very clear and clearly identified. But as I say, just that opportunistic mindset within the business was just fantastic to be a part of. Fascinating. And and off the back of that, have you taken that on? And are there any examples of where you've kind of implemented that based on your experiences there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the what key was was um, you know understanding customer problems and solving for that in a very um, uh, opportunistic manner and trying to get ahead. So talking to the customer, not about communications, but more of the problems they're trying to solve. That, that was mm. a big takeaway from me. Um, so um, when I was talking about communications, it's easy. You know, how many bits do you want kind of stuff is a relatively straightforward conversation to have. But getting past that barrier into the, the, the user issue, the customer problem, okay, what are you trying to solve with that, you know, upgraded connection? Is it you've got an operational issue? Is it you want to do better asset management? Is it you're trying to drive some kind of safety problem? You're deploying a new service or a new solution, whatever it may be. Understanding that informs you towards deploying fit-for-purpose solutions that would otherwise you wouldn't anticipate you needed to. And that's where all of a sudden you find these greenfield opportunities that are, are just ready to ready to exploit. And then you tend to find that you know similar customers then have similar problems, and then that's very reputable at that point. You can repeat the solution, obviously with some tweaks and adjustments, but you usually find that that issue exists elsewhere, and then you're ahead of the curve in terms of addressing those other customers' problems also. Brilliant. I think that makes absolute sense. And um, kind of again, I suppose, um, we're quite curious to know if there are any moments of adversity that um, you kind of overcame within uh, within your career. Many, um, you know, I've, I've always operated in really the intersection of state-of-the-art solutions and really demanding problems. And in doing so, you always find challenges will materialize. Um, and, you know, those challenges are very dis- difficult to anticipate. Um, but, you know, the part of the the learning from that is, I mean, you, you can't crystal ball, you can't predict everything that may or may not happen. What is critical is having an organization behind that that is extremely adaptable and able to move quickly to address issues with resilient infrastructure to ensure that that issue doesn't, doesn't linger and it gets addressed, whatever it may be. 
be a technology problem. It could be a weather problem. I mean, the number of hurricanes that we've had to, in my past dodge and move traffic from one teleport in the States to another one in Europe with overlapping coverage. That's always an interesting challenge. Um, there's been customer issues with, you know, um, it usually tends to be weather-related, bizarrely. I mean, I've had uh, fire threats on teleports in the States, hurricanes in the States, weather chasing cruise ships around the world, weather shutting down oil and gas operations, rigs scattering everywhere. And one of the things about being in the communications industry, the communications really is the last thing that anybody ever wants to turn off for obvious reasons, right? So they may be in, a customer may have major issues occurring, but that's not an excuse not to deliver. And this is where the, you know, the concept of the contract and the SLA, you ignore that and it's all about ensuring the customer's mission is supported in what can be very, very difficult circumstances. Amazing. But my favorite challenge, I must admit, was yeah. actually Y2K, where this is a DMS story, where my, my uh, Y2K, we had a massive preparedness program. We'd work with customers on upgrading equipment, validating tools, looking for Y2K bugs everywhere. And we reached midnight, year 2000, and we're in the knock in Aberdeen. We're all watching the screens, anticipating green lights going to red. And what happened was there was a bang in the background and all of a sudden the monitor turned off. It turned out my technical director had let off a bottle of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> hit the roof, hit a power button on a monitor perfectly and switch it off. Other than that, everything worked perfectly. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, I think there was, uh, there was a printer somewhere in the UK that shut down as well around that time. So thoughts go out to that printer. <laughs> Really interesting with the weather as well, though. And yeah, it just speaks to the kind of the critical nature of communications as well. Um, and the fact that, yeah, you need to be robust with challenges kind of physically and, and mentally as well when it comes to communication. So really interesting. And, and thank you for that, Andy. Um, we're going to move over now to kind of the present day um, and also the future, uh, which I'm going to leave for Andrew to discuss. So I'm going to pass him the mic. Brilliant. Thank you, Ewan. Um, so, Andy, look, we've already mentioned that Luke are going to be launching solutions um, for Leo and Mio platforms in the near future. Um, the industry has obviously changed, you know, since since you've been involved in it. I mean, hey, it's changed in the relatively short time that, that I've been involved in it. Um, but what opportunities do you think exist for a business like yours um, within the new space market? And, and how do you think, you know, the solutions and offerings that you're able to provide will be influenced by, you know, new space rather than traditional communications? Okay. I I think, you know, right now, just the, this pace of change in a technological, technological manner is it's remarkable, right? I mean, it's it's game-changing. I think as a satellite communications industry in particular, it's not that we've never had technological advancement over the years. It's just this pace at the moment, very much of a hockey stick. Um, and it's great. And But one thing I would stress is I firmly believe the future is a hybrid model. It won't be Leo or Mio or Geo or 5G or fiber. The solutions will be an aggregation of all these different um, uh, technical solutions such that Customers are delivered um, uh, solutions, sorry to be repetitive, that genuinely offer the best of everything. And as a result, are very biased towards QE, but then don't forget about reliability, um, particularly as well with locations that move around the world, where then that mix of, of um, um, options 
change. I, I've got my oil and gas and my maritime background always forces me to think that way. Of course. Um, but, you know, hybrid models, I think, are definitely the way forward without question. Um, now, we, we mustn't also forget that Leo has been around for quite a few years in the satellite industry, as is Mio. Um, and Mio in particular, very successfully. And Leo very successfully with Iridium, for example. Um, so, you know, these have been present in the market for a long, long time. But the difference now is actually just the capability that's available from Leo constellations and Mio constellations um, is just, you know, it's unrecognizable from, you know, five, 10 years ago. Um, you know, what does this mean for customers really is, is where I tend to go. Um, customers are much more cloud oriented. Um, they have got a completely different mindset in terms of quality experience and how applications behave in all settings. And this recent push behind, you know, home working, for example, has really driven that in that, you know, this whole, as we are today, basically all working from our little bubbles, relying on our connectivity to actually make something like this possible. And behind that is obviously lots of fiber and very low, very high speed and, and low latency. Classic geo um, it really just wouldn't have been successful, right? We would have all been yeah. desperately trying to find a coffee shop to huddle up in. Um Leo and Mio brings that, you know, low latency, high throughput experience really to anybody everywhere uh, in due course around the whole planet, which is a revolution really in terms of um, opportunity and capability to individuals and businesses alike. Um, so how do I see this being something that uh, like TDC can capitalize on? I mean, certainly, number one, our customers are demanding it. I mean, we have numerous critical, mission critical use cases that we provide for our customers. And low latency would definitely enhance our customers' ability to leverage the solution that we provide. So it's it's a, a customers are demanding it, and we definitely want to be in a position to provide those kind of services to our customers. Um, but as I say, the hybrid model is, is going to be the thing that blends that enhanced user experience with the reliability and simplicity of the solutions we provide today going forward. I mean, we don't want to lose, you know, provide solutions to customers that give them low latency at the expense of quality of service and convenience that they um, enjoy today. So um, what does this bring to our customers? I think it brings to our customers greater reach, um, higher performance, um, far superior QOE and application behavior than they're able to enjoy today and unlocks, you know, solutions such as the uh, technology we're using at the moment for this podcast, which as I say is, is largely possible, um, particularly in locations that are outside classic um, telco coverage areas. Really interesting, um, the kind of the view of the hybrid model there. Um, it's always really interesting when we have these conversations so Sometimes you can anticipate, you know, which side of the, the fence they're going to be sitting on or which technology they're backing purely on, you know, where they currently work. And unsurprisingly, certain constellation operators will be pushing the new space Leo model, um, whereas traditional operators may well be pushing, you know, either the geo or kind of some blending of, of, of service. But kind of really interesting to hear your perspective there. Um, and you've already mentioned that, you know, of course, new space, the pace of change um, has been remarkable from let's be honest, what is traditionally a relatively slow-moving industry. Um, but kind of what developments within that kind of industry do you think we're still waiting for? And, and which developments are you most looking forward to seeing the industry bring in the future? 
Well, you, you probably may not be surprised by my answer, actually. To my mind, it's it's actually the whole electronically steerable antenna world that I think is is it unlocks so much potential um, because it fixes the ease of use problem. So as an industry, we're a complex industry. Yeah. Um, we take we need engineers, skilled engineers with a lot of experience to actually deploy successfully solutions. Again, particularly in sort of a mobility context where the where the technical solution is a bit more sophisticated. But even at a simple cell tower in Africa somewhere requires you know an engineer to install the hardware and commission it successfully in a way where it remains reliable. Even though it's a simple fixed antenna screwed to a tower, for example, it's, it still needs a bit of work to make that work correctly. What the ESA world brings is the potential for plug and play. Um, reduced skill sets required to install the equipment. And then as a result, there is a pricing issue, but as a result, greatly reduces the barrier to entry for satellite communications products, because then it's not really a satellite communications terminal with all the complexity connotations that that implies. It's just an appliance that happens to connect wirelessly to something and then magically presents a high performance connection that has all these, you know, low latency, high throughput, or high reliability, you know, whatever the, the outcome may be, solutions to the end users on the site. Um, to me, that's the key thing that the industry requires to unlock the potential, even of the existing geo, the high performance geo, but then the non-geo solutions. Um, there just isn't the number of engineers in the world to allow us to keep on doing it the old way. Couldn't agree with you more on that. And I think, you know, as we see more of these, um, you know, flat panel phase array, software defined, electronically steerable antenna systems sort of coming out there into the market. I think the applications that that we'll kind of start to see opened up from that will be will be huge. Um, and look, as we stay looking at the future, we'll take a sort of slight um, move sideways. I've heard about robot vacuum cleaners. <laughs> I'll be honest, I've never heard of, of a robot lawnmower. Um, how far in your future do you see this purchase? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I mean, so, you know, um, spend an hour a week, say, cutting the grass front and back, give or take, maybe more depending on how fussy I'm being, right? And you've got to get the lawnmower out of the garage. You've got to clean the blades. Has it got petrol? Is it charged? You know, you go around the garden a little bit. You're sweeping up the clippings yeah i don't I, I enjoy it but it's work yeah yeah whereas a robot lawnmower just whizzes around your garden cutting the grass for you you just and it finds its own docking station and it just deals with things by itself um the, the some of the challenges with them though actually bizarrely is they're, they're not necessarily easy to use you need some of them, you in theory, you can just drop on your grass and you just let them go on with it. And off they go, yeah. But, but actually, what you're supposed to do is peg a wire around the perimeter of your lawn and around plants that you don't want destroyed, which takes time and effort. You need an external main socket. Um, you know, they're waterproof, but you don't want them being rained on. You know, there's and they get stolen yeah. because they're quite high-value items. <laughs> of course. So they're, they're not necessarily the kind of – they're not a purchase that you would just make randomly. You've actually got to be really considered <laughs> yeah. about it, you know. So, um, but, you know, the opportunity for me is I can get, you know, two, three hours a week back. And I, 
don't have to buy petrol for my lawnmower anymore. <laughs> so we're um, looking this this uh, more like a life hacking solution. It's yeah, about getting absolutely. those hours back rather absolutely. than. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what tends to happen is family gives them names. They actually turn into pets. You know, that's how <laughs> them, you know? Um, uh, yeah. So that, that's kind of where that comes from. Is that yeah? You know, I'd like some <laughs> of my hours back, please. Um, Perfect. And uh, but the technology's not quite there. You know, it's just not quite there. And the ones I've looked at wouldn't work in my garden for various reasons. Yeah. So. Fair enough. Well, I have to say, I'm I'm imagining that my son is probably going to be old enough for me to pass on the responsibilities to him uh, <laughs> before sort of taking the plunge into something like that. But look, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll carry on um, and kind of nice segue there, I think, into, you know, discussing the, the topic that matters for, for our conversation today. Um, so, Ewan, over to you. Thank you. I mean, I kind of want to just keep talking about robots and automations and things like that. But um, oh yeah, just uh, sorry, anyway, just it strikes me as a really good future for that. Also, is having yeah. weed killer in the moor, so it's spot treats rather than you do your whole lawn, which would automatically be greener or more environmentally friendly. Yeah. Kind of stuff we're doing that. in agriculture today, and that agricultural require, environment requires robots, AI, communications back-end, cloud analytics, c- commandment of the device. It's a very communication-centric model. Mm. The more of that that goes out there, the more mission-critical it becomes. And it's it's an ideal Leo environment, to my mind. It's another hybrid solution that's just waiting to be addressed by someone. Well, it did suddenly make me wonder. I wonder how long it will be till we have you know, a robot vacuum with, a, with an ESA antenna on top of it so it can have software updates, algorithm updates you know perhaps even get gaining analyzing and selling the data of okay most people are mowing their lawns at this time on this day and you know beginning of the month end of the month um so look you know there we go everything kind of cycles back around to uh to satellite exactly indeed indeed <laughs> and um so the, the 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 matter that i i did have in mind was to do with sustainability um because i see that that's something that's been mentioned quite a lot in relation to look um what I did want to ask first and foremost, though, was obviously the rebrand has happened recently. Um, I would love to hear more about that. Why the rebrand? Why now? And, and kind of what does that mean for the future of the business? Yeah. So um, uh, like Teleport and Data Center, as we now know it, um, previously SignalHorn has been around for 50 years. Um, um, over those years, naturally, there's been some changes of ownership and some rebranding. And um, we felt you know, nothing wrong with the signal horn name. And in fact, signal horn is a satellite antenna component. So a lot of relevance for satellite communications. But outside the satellite market, not well known. Um, but everybody knows Loic. You say Loic Teleport, everybody is like, oh, yeah, I know Loic Teleport. And it's a fantastic facility. And people know the pedigree, know the, the context, know that it's, it's, it's seen it, particularly if they visited, they know it's, seriously robust, highly secure environment with, you know, endless redundancy in a fantastic location with, you know, really good protection against, you know, 5G, VC band, and the topology protects against, you know, interference from adjacent valleys and so forth. So everybody knows it's a, it's a high quality, extremely robust and secure facility in Loic, but SignalHorn didn't resonate with that. Um, and also, you know, it would be by no means are we forgetting about the satellite market. I need to emphasize this. The satellite industry is very important to us. You know, we host uh, numerous really high value, very critical customers out the facility, in addition to our own fully managed services. 
So the satellite market for us going forward is still super important. But the facility had been unleveraged in terms of its potential, i.e. data center type activities. So you can almost think about it as a, as a very close adjunct to the core business, the data center market. But Signalhorn within the data center market, unknown. So we, we felt the opportunity was right to really rebrand, um, to get rid of this, well, to, to make a change from the old um, model of work, um, but also reframe and reposition the business within the satellite market and the data center market. And emphasize the geographical aspect of LOIC and therefore bring out that Swissness element that was previously missing mm. from the positioning of the company. Oh, brilliant. Oh, well, I saw um, when I was on your website as well, you were talking about the the art of German engineering with the uh, with the Swiss precision uh, involved. Yes. And I, li- I like that. Uh, I like that sentiment indeed. Yep. And um, I, I was also reading about, you know, and this is what ties into sustainability here as well, is, you know, the, the aim to evolve to become Europe's first 100% green and secure teleport and data center. I was wondering how are you going to make that happen? So, um, I mean, we already get the benefit of uh, arguably green energy from you know the hydro sources within Switzerland, which is fantastic. Um, but the investments we've been making actually is it's uh, it's almost a third arm, third leg to the business. Actually, is actually the generation of power in a green fashion. So, I mean, this is not about greenwashing or anything like that. I mean, quite literally, we've we've covered the building in solar panels. The main building; it's a significant size of building, and you know, we're blessed with several very large, very old antennas, which, you know, standard B's, 32 meter type things, um, which uh, really actually today are largely unnecessary in the satellite communications market. In actual fact, they're quite difficult to use with modern satellites just by virtue of the fact that they are so big. Um, so rather than just seeing them just do nothing or only be, be you know, allocated as occasional use type solutions, we are repurposing that real estate actually as a solar array. So as a result, um, so we're doing the first one now. Um, and when it's finished, this will be a 32 meter array, which basically tracks the sun, not continuously, steps around. And then um, particularly with the summer, winter um, elevation angle difference, our ability to actually optimize the, the panel positions um, opens up the yield. So whereas a fixed solar panel will give you a peak performance of so many hours a day during the summer. If you can move your array, you extend that yield actually quite considerably across the course of the day and in a, a greater season. So actually a yield over the course of a year is actually really, really good. Um, and you know, the first one, um, we'll look to see the results before we consider investing in the next two, but we'd be really surprised if we don't do them. Yeah. So the net of all that is actually will be a, a contributor to the Swiss grid. So we'll have more power than we need, actually. Um, so when you think about greening generally, it's an important thing to be self-sustaining on power. And particularly important in today's world where energy prices are so, well, everybody knows energy market right now. And you know, we this gives us another leg to our security and sustainability in that we've got control of our, of our cost of power, whereas others are at the mercy of the energy market. So it gives us a position where we can be very confident in ourselves in our ability to generate electricity at a consistent price, which is a value then we can pass through to our customers because they suffer badly from this, uh, particularly in the data center market today in some 
locations around the world. Indeed. Wow. I, I love, I love that. I love the repurposing of it. And then as you say, with the, with the surplus as well, um, just added benefits. I'm really fascinated to see how that turns out. Um, yeah, really you know, I think it'd be great. Things. And, and another pathway into again, of, you know, the structures, I mean, uh, if we, these large antennas are expensive to maintain and operate, um, in reality, without giving them a new purpose like this, you know, they they would have just declined and become difficult to use, and then probably been dismantled at some point in the future. So we've essentially relifed these assets for another hopefully 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Amazing. I think that's that's a, a mindset that needs to be taken on across the board, really. Um, so it's brilliant to see you guys um, doing this. Uh, I'm really, yeah, looking forward to seeing how that pans out. Um, and thank you for that, Andy. Uh, we're going to move on now to a um, another topic um, that, that is uh, as important. Um, and I'm going to pass that over to to Andrew to uh, to discuss. Thanks, Ewan. Um, so, Andy, this is something that we like to discuss with uh, with with all of our guests, um, and as a recruitment company, it's a, it's a topic that's pretty close to uh, to our chest here, um, and that's around kind of diversity and inclusion within the industry. Um, so, kind of keen to understand from your side, um, how have you seen things improve, or you know, have you seen things improve during your time in the industry? I think fundamentally uh, the answer has to be yes, I have seen things improve. Um, um, I mean, within like TDC, we have, gosh, how many nationalities um, and language? So obviously being Swiss-based, English, French, German, is, it comes as a given. But, you know, we have got a, a team in Germany as well. And in that team is extremely multicultural, actually. The individuals come from a wide range of countries. In fact, we've probably got more non-German staff than German staff in our German team. Um, and then we have, you know, a, a team in the UK. Um, so I think in terms of, you know, nationalities and uh, different origins, we have quite a, a mixed team. Um, arguably what we lack is youth. Um, it'd be good to see, you know, new entrants, new blood coming into the industry generally. Um, I think we lack that somewhat. And something that we're very focused on within LOIC actually is to you know tap into the local sort of education scene and start bringing in individuals, youngsters as through apprenticeships or whatever it may be. Um, it was actually another reason for rebranding the company, by the way, is actually to try and attract new individuals into the business and gives us an opportunity to reframe and re-explain what we're all about and make it exciting. And also with the data center strategy, in essence, we become a cloud company that allows us to talk about you know, how we position into the into the future with um, you know, my eldest son, for example, is a cloud consultant. And I know that that works really well for him. I'm not quite sure what that means, but um, he was really excited to be going there. It was an important thing for him, actually. So it gives us an opportunity to, to, to re-explain and reposition the business so we're attractive to you know, the, the youth as they come through education. Um, but, you know, in terms of diversity generally, I mean, I think it's something we've just all got to work on. Uh, we've all got to think out the box about where we find people, how we develop people, and how do we encourage people to come on board from um, um, different backgrounds. Uh, kind of really interesting that, that you kind of picked up on the, I suppose, the topic of youth there. Um, that does seem to be a little bit of a recurring theme, you know, as we have these conversations that there has been a huge improvement across the industry. However, there does seem to be a sort of a lack of that next talent and an understanding of of where it's coming from. When when we look at sort of 
getting new people into the industry. Um, where do you think the responsibility for that lies? Is it purely within you know the industries and the organisations themselves? Um, do you think that there's more that can be done you know at a at a school level? Um, you know what what more do you think we can do as an industry and as outside the industry to try and attract that next generation of talent and make sure it is as diverse and inclusive as we can make it? Well, I think it's absolutely on us to make space exciting. Um, and I have to say, a lot of the you know the new developments around Leo and Mio make space exciting, right? So it gets absolutely firmly in the news, which is great. Um, and you know, we've got some important people to thank for that, to my mind. Um, so you know, making space exciting attracts people. I think that's that's the first thing, and we need to definitely encourage and support that. And promotion of our industry and you know making space more software defined helps and a lot i mean the ability i mean uh, you know attracting sort of computing graduates and people who are brought up keyboards versus in my day we were brought up with soldering irons um i think it's a really important thing and you know software designed satellites software designed um uh, antennas software defined modems to me, this is all game changing, and and it's again reframing the business into a context that computer engineers understand, and IT professionals understand, and coders understand, hackers understand. It's just a bit more scary, um, but you know, to me, that makes the industry exciting, and it should definitely attract a new wave of talent through the business. I think a challenge is going to be also sustaining the old school RF skills, which are still really important for a teleport operator like ourselves. You know, we need that skill set. And that's scarce, I have to say. Those are difficult yeah. people to find now. That's not particularly trained for. Um, and so we need to, you know, we're looking for methods of developing individuals into these roles. And um, we don't want to rely on that, you know, experience retiring out. And, you know, it, it will retire out in the foreseeable future. So we, we definitely need solutions for that. But, you know, as I say, I think making space exciting is a key thing in terms of attracting talent going forward. Perfect. Well, I'm sure we could pick your brains for, for hours on this, um, but move on, we must. Um, we've learned a little bit more about, about you, your backgrounds, how you got into the industry, as well as a little bit around, uh, around the organisation that you work for. Um, but we'd love to find out a little bit more about you as an individual. Um, so can I you and over to uh, you for our first question on this, this part of the, the podcast? Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, so... Obviously, as Andrew's mentioned, yeah, we, we've learned a lot about you uh, professionally. Um, but yeah, we'd love to. I think the weekend is a great indicator of what you know an individual is like outside of work, for obvious reasons. But um, yeah, very curious to hear what your perfect weekend might look like, Andy. <laughs> my perfect weekend. Um, so my, I'll tell you how my weekends look like. So my my Saturday is usually ferrying two little girls around dancing lessons. Um, and uh, Saturday, I, I like to chill um, a bit. Um, a bit of Grand Prix watching is good. Cooking, I enjoy. Cook the farm, cook for the family. There's usually some, say, cutting the grass. Um, and I like to get on my bike as much as possible. Indeed, yeah. You met, we mentioned that earlier, the avid cyclist. Yeah. How, how, how many Ks do you reckon you do a weekend? Uh, I, I did 75 miles actually last on Monday last week because it was nice and quiet. So I have a personal target, which is an average of 10 miles a day. So if you do your maths, that's 3,650 miles in a year. Goodness. That's the target I set for myself this year. So um, I'm ahead of it at the moment, which is oh, fine. Oh, wow. 
So I'll, I'll just keep on going. And when you get that, uh, when you get that robot um, lawnmower, you've got a few more hours to get a few more miles. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you another thing for them. Twenty or thirty miles, yeah. Brilliant. Um, and uh, and you mentioned the Grand Prix. Um, you and Andrew, I'm sure, could talk about that for hours. I imagine as well. So, uh, but maybe for another time. Um, I'm going to pass over back to Andrew though. He's got a what we like to call the quick fire round. Uh, he'll explain more. Cool. Perfect. So, Andy, as you mentioned, this is the quick fire round. We've got ten questions. Um, try to think as little as possible. You know, think on your feet. Answer as as quick as as you can. Um, I'm going to swap out. The first question here, just as a one F F one fan to another F one fan, um, Verstappen or Hamilton? Oh, Hamilton, yeah. <laughs> Good man. Good man. <laughs> Mountain retreat or beach getaway? Oh yeah, okay. Uh, that would be a conflict. Um, I go with the mountain retreat. Works really well in like the family would be the beach getaway. So maybe a kind of a split oh, holiday. Yeah, so it has to be 90% beach, 10% yeah. mountains. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe if, if you can find yourself a, a kind of mountain villa with uh, with a private beach at the foothills, perfect. Yeah, um, yeah. Desert Island film. You've got one film. It's the only film you can watch for the rest of your life. What would it be? Uh, oh, gosh. Um, probably Blade Runner, actually. Now controversial, which cut? Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'd actually think of the, the the second Blade Runner movie rather than the first. But I'm not sure if there's been a director's cut of the second one yet. I'm not sure. I know there's been an ex slightly extended cut, um, yeah. but I'm not sure if it was a director's cut. Perfect. Great answer. Well, I sneak them both out, join them together, call it one movie. I'd be quite happy. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, next question. Go to karaoke song. I, I, so I don't really do karaoke very often because the reason is last time I did, the karaoke operator took the mic off me to check it was still working correctly. <laughs> was there, uh, I mean, are you trying to say that you sound like feedback? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's very bad. Yeah. So I don't have a favourite, actually. No. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, train travel or plane travel? Uh, usually plane. Yeah. 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 Depends where I'm going. A visit to the theatre or streaming a series at home? Uh, probably streaming a series at home. Um, coffee or tea? Uh, I've had to convert to tea because I had a COVID bout and I can't handle coffee anymore, which is really upsetting me. Oh, wow. In interesting. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've had to convert to tea. Under sufferance or? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> um, okay, so Apple or Microsoft? Oh, I thought you were going to go fruit. I've got apples <laughs> in the pick, actually. Um, uh, Apple, yeah. Netflix or Disney Plus? Ah, I think, it, it, you know, it depends what they're showing. I've, I've kind of been buying things towards Disney Plus at the moment. Me too, I have to say. Um, and final question here. I think you maybe sort of alluded to, to two of these individuals earlier, um, but Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk? They're both remarkable um, individuals. Uh, I couldn't choose between them, really. Um, but if you force me, probably Elon Musk. Yeah. Perfect. Well, look, thank you very much for that, Andy. Uh, as I say, 
always always the best round of the uh, the podcast. Look, we are coming to the end. We've come to our final question. Um, Ewan, over to you for that. Thank you very much. And thank you, Andy, for for being on this with us. It's been great. Um, final question. Same as always, uh, what one piece of advice would you give to someone entering the industry? Um, I would say just appreciate what the industry can and does represent, which is it enables solutions for customers that would otherwise have no means of um, addressing some kind of business requirement, particularly when it comes to addressing reach and distance. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, 4G networks, 5G networks, fiber, absolutely fantastic. But as soon as you get, you know, on top of a hill or in a valley or you're 12 miles offshore, you're using satellite. Um, and actually, you even see the trend towards satellite in personal mobility solutions, such as Apple hinting at having satellite communications abilities in one of the upcoming iPhones, which is amazing, right? So all of a sudden, everybody will have a satcoms terminal in their pocket, as long as they're an iOS user. Um, so for me, the message would be just have an appreciation that satellite has over the over the decades and is going to continue to be um, revolutionary in delivering solutions and capabilities that would otherwise be impossible for, I say, end users and businesses alike. Love it. Fantastic. Wholeheartedly agree. Right. Well, Andy, thank you again. Really, really appreciate your time. It was great to hear your thoughts, your insights, learn a little bit more about you, um, uh, as well as, you know, a little bit more about Luke Telecom, uh, Teleport and Data Center as well. Um, it was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, look, we hope to speak with you again soon. Yeah, no problem. Look forward to it. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more people. For more information about NUCO, we can be found at www.nuco-group.com. That's N-E-U-C-O-group.com.